What if in 2024, you got a little bit better every day? When you're learning a new language with Babbel, that's exactly what you're doing. And if Babbel can help you start speaking a new language in just three weeks, imagine what you could do in a full year. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's convenient courses are helping me learn real-life conversation skills in Spanish. It's getting so easy to learn how to order food, ask for directions, or speak to merchants. Studies from Yale, Michigan State University, and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold. Plus, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com SPP. That's right. Get 55% off at babbel.com slash SPP. That's spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash SPP. Rules and restrictions may apply. The podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest, I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, so excited to have you. This week on the show, covering a topic that everyone loves and everyone needs, and that is achieving peak mind. In fact, the name of the book this week is Peak Mind. Find your focus, own your attention, invest 12 minutes a day. We are talking with Dr. Amishi Jha, who is the author of said book. Dr. Amishi Jha is a professor of psychology at the University of Miami. She is the director of contemplative neuroscience for the Mindfulness Research and Practice Initiative. She received her PhD from UC Davis and postdoc at the Brain Imaging and Analysis Center at Duke University. And I think you'll find Dr. Ja has an amazing way of breaking down some of the most difficult subjects, such as our attention, focus, the mind, and all that goes into that. In fact, although I love how actionable this episode is, I also really like how clearly she can explain the issues we're dealing with. I always believe if you can walk away from an episode, not just knowing what to do, but further understanding some piece of yourself, you will forever be a better person. And ultimately, that's what we're here to do. In fact, if you feel like we're making you a better person and you're enjoying the holidays, maybe you could support us, patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. So in this episode, what you'll find is we talk about things like how to focus, why your mind wanders. We'll hear some great analogies for the different parts of attention. Probably my favorite part. Oh, and don't forget, she says you can achieve this in 12 minutes a day. 
tell a friend about the show. When you're at your holiday parties, when you're going to visit family and you start talking Netflix, say, hey, do you guys listen to podcasts? Because I got a great one for you. All right, let's get this going. We are talking with Dr. Amishi Ja about her brand new book, Peak Mind. Find your focus, own your attention, invest 12 minutes a day. Enjoy. This will be one of the more listened to episodes because it has to do with the mind. And there's just something there. Do you find a fascination or an obsession with all things mind and attention more these days than perhaps 10, 20, 30 years ago? I mean, I'm a little biased because this is what I do for my life. Right. But I would say, you know, it seems like there's a lot more pain points around this topic. Like a lot of us feel like it's not just interest, but there's a need for us to do something about sort of a crisis feeling we have regarding our minds, like the crispness of our thinking, the breadth of our planful ability is just sort of getting degraded, maybe more so over the last 18, 19 months with the pandemic than uh, longer than that. But for, for sure, there's a lot of interest. Yeah. And one of the things I always think of when I put my bias on something, as you were just saying it, it triggered, right? Like, it's more important now and more people are flocking to it now. But I always wonder if that's true. Like, do you think we are actually facing more of a struggle with focus, attention, being present than we were 30 years ago? Or would we go back 30, 40, 50 years and people would be saying the same thing, but perhaps saying it differently? Such a great question, because on, on the one hand, there is this sort of larger notion that because of smartphones and because of social media, our attention spans are shrinking. And that's not what I was talking about for the most recent interest. I was really talking about the pandemic, which we mm -hmm, should talk about a little bit. Yeah. But this larger question of shrinking attention spans, because I get that question often. Well, isn't it the case that we have shorter attention spans than we ever had? And the answer is no, that is a complete falsehood. Human evolution, any kind of evolution doesn't typically... Well, let's just say human evolution does not work at that time scale. And a lot of the challenges that we're experiencing are actually because our attention works so well. It works so well that we can have computer algorithms predict exactly what our minds are going to do and then feed us content based on that very predictable aspect of our mind's functioning. So the crisis point, the pain point, isn't so much regarding a failure of our own mind. It's because of its predictability that we're seeing a lot of the pain. So would you say that a lot of that pain and specifically we're talking about technology, smartphones, et cetera, yeah. comes from exploitation and profiting off of the strength of our attention? <laughs> and this notion of an, of an attention economy and an attention marketplace, these are new terms. And I think that for sure, this is something we have to contend with because you know, if you think of like the housing market, it took a lot of pain and actually a lot of suffering by a lot of people before we could put regulation into place that said, you know what, don't take all these mortgages, lump them together, and then chop them up and sell them. It's almost the same with our attention. We are, our attention is being mined and sold. And that sounds a little alarmist, but it's actually the case. And there's nothing really that's, that's here to protect us. And we have to get smart about that because the kind of exhaustion and challenges we're facing, they're not going to go away. You know, there's no incentive for them to go away if people are making money 
and it's totally within their legal rights to make money in that manner. I, I'm wondering how much of it is, as you were just mentioning earlier, we're losing our attention spans and things and that being false. And, and that makes sense. But how much of it is, instead of us losing the ability to focus, it's actually our addiction to what is being fed to us and what we focus on. I've had this recent and embarrassing uh, admission here, obsession with TikTok. And I swore I'd never get on it. I was like, that's for 20 year olds. Like, I'm not going to do it. And it's the first social media platform I can say in my life, because I, I really don't like social. I don't care about it. It's the first one that I'll find like 45 minutes will go by. And I'm embarrassed by that. So I'm wondering what's the mechanism there? And is it more of an addiction and some kind of neurotransmitter seeking abilities? Well, it's all about what our mind does, right? That's the first thing to say. Yes, it's tied to our mind. Let's 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 put to the side the term addiction for now. Mm -hmm. But let me unpack what I mean, what I meant when I said that our brains are actually working fine. It's just that they're working in a manner that allows large corporations to mine our attention. So what I mean by that is that, you know, there's sort of, think of attention as having two different kinds of systems. And I like to use the metaphor for what attention is most broadly is like a flashlight. So just like a flashlight, wherever it is that you focus your attentional resources, you get privileged access to that information. And in many ways, you know, attention is the success story of human evolution. It developed and was adapted for because of a giant problem that the brain had, which is that there's far more out there in the world than we could fully process with this limited thing that we carry around in our skull. So attention really was a way to kind of subsample the external world and get the information that the mind would need, the brain would need in order to survive. So there's two ways we can think about the flashlight of our attention. The first way is that we can direct it willfully. You know, just like if you're walking down a darkened path, you know where you want to point that flashlight so you don't trip over it. You can see your way. And just like that actual flashlight, when we devote our mind willfully to certain kinds of content, we're going to get more granular, clear information that's really prominent within our conscious experience. So we can direct that flashlight to the external environment. We can actually point it internally. If you're like, oh, what was that? What was that episode of Friends about? You know, you can kind of like go back and think about it and kind of try to retrace it. That was you pointing your flashlight internally to memory. We can do that to obviously not just memories of TV shows, but things in our lives, knowledge we have, etc. But there's another aspect of that flashlight, which is that it can get yanked around. And so let's put ourselves back on that uh, path where we're walking, right? With flashlight pointed to where we want to go. If you heard a weird sound or rustling of leaves, you'd quickly move the flashlight to figure out what the heck's going on. Is that a bear? Is it a cougar? Is it just somebody trying to get me? Right? So that ability for the flashlight to both be directed and yanked away is part of what I'm talking about of our attention is working fine. It's just that we know the kinds of things that can yank attention away, again, built into our brain. Things like novelty, self-relatedness, threat, alarm. And then we might put it in a broader category of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Things that are fun, engaging, and what you call kind of addictive. Yes, they're kind of in our built-in biology to want to be attracted to them intentionally. And so in some sense, something like TikTok is the culmination of all those goodies that your brain's like, yes, I want this. I'm going to keep paying attention to it. And then the novelty comes in of the next video and the next video and the next video. And 
You're lucky if it's only 45 minutes. <laughs> oh, really? Well, that's that's good to know. <laughs> but it doesn't feel good, right? It feels like you're in this kind of weird, uh, uncontrolled state, like you don't even own your own attention. Right. And that's actually what the whole uh, point of why I wanted to write this book, Peak Mind, that was why I wanted to write it is because I think that the way we're trying to battle social media, the way we're trying to battle our attentional challenges, I think is totally not going to serve us. We can't break up with our phones, frankly. That's so funny you said that because I was like thinking, okay, wait, so how do we solve that? And of course, I'm being very selfish on this with the TikTok thing because the the point is there is a sense of joy for a limited period of time. And I also think there's a sense of uh, learning, right? Mm -hmm. If I'm watching something about something educational or whatever it might be. But at the end of the day, my fear is more about the repercussions of the behavior and not the behavior itself. Is there a negative impact from things like TikTok on the rest of our lives? And maybe it's not just on attention, but on everything we're doing. So, yes, there probably is, but it's it's not maybe what you think. It's not the content. It's that when we are sucked into this vortex where our attention system is just like, yes, keep going, keep going, keep going. The flashlight is yanked and then just magnetically pulled. What does that do to our lives? Well, we aren't doing the task at hand. We aren't doing our homework if we're kids. We're not paying attention to our families. We may be neglecting work. There feels like this constant tug to want to go check, whether it's TikTok or Twitter or whatever your particular um, source is for getting that attentional uh, you know, pull, uh, happening in your own mind. So that's one of the challenges. It's, it's how do we engage with things that are attentional lures in a manner that puts the control back in our hands? How do we grab a hold of our own flashlight so that it's not getting pulled unknowingly that if we decide we're going to do something and you mentioned, you know, your background with something like Franklin Covey, we want to know the parameter space. We want to know what we're getting into. We want to set the limits so that we can get back to the task at hand when it's most appropriate. And that part is something we have not been talking about as a culture of how to do that. And when I look at my own children, you know, their approach, my kids are 15 and 19. So they're a little bit older and they've had come up with some very interesting ways of dealing with this tug, basically putting apps on their phone that time them out. Mm -hmm. And then they might need to go to YouTube for homework and be like, I can't get on. I already timed out. And I'm like, interesting. You know, you're trying to have the external parameters control you. But what if we could actually train our mind to be better able to know moment to moment where our attention is and practice getting that flashlight back on track so that we don't feel like we're at the mercy of whatever content is in front of us? How much of our scattered attention do you think is due to an inability or an unwillingness to first define what we want to focus on in the first place? You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really hard to go internal and say, what do I want to focus on? Why do I want to focus there? And then understand, because our brains do this, all the hardships that that goal, whatever it is, will bring forth. It's easier to just look at short term, say, I'll just allow myself this distraction for a moment. Exactly. So this brings in another brain system of attention. You know, I was mentioning the flashlight, and that's just one of the multiple systems of, of attention that exist. Another system of attention, which I call the juggler, or some formally it's called executive functions. 
executive functions, you know, the term executive is not an accident. It's just like we talk about executives of an organization. What's the job of an executive? It's not to go in and do every individual task that the organization requires. It's to ensure, well, it's to first figure out what the goal should be, and then to ensure that the performance, the behaviors of the organization align with those goals, and to do it constantly, to manage that, to monitor that, et cetera. Same thing with executive functions. So I like to call it a juggler because it's like we got to keep all the balls in the air. You know, we've got to actually ensure that everything that's important is being addressed. And that goes to your point regarding setting goals and knowing what they are. In some sense, what happens when the flashlight gets pulled is that the juggler has to set and executive control has to set it and say, ah, right now, the thing that is most important is actually getting back to addressing this important email or talking to your spouse or helping your child with the homework. Whatever it is, that larger goal needs to be brought back into your mind and then that will help. I mean, and that sort of starts a set of processes that says, oh, get the flashlight back to where you need it. So, you know, what we want and what I um, have been very interested in doing in my own lab's research is training all those systems. You know, how it, how is it that we can get a better handle on the goals, not set them, that's, I think, for other systems, but know that we have goals and give, keep them at the front of our mind, know where the flashlight is, and then have a lot of control in our ability to, with that knowledge of where it is, direct it willfully to where we want it to be. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by Ginger. The North Star for every employer, manager, and HR professional is to create a supportive culture where employees are empowered to reach their full potential. Now more than ever, that objective starts with Ginger, a comprehensive mental health system for employees. Listen, to have a productive workforce, it is absolutely important that your employee's mental health is taken care of. Ginger is reinventing mental health care to provide immediate and on-demand personalized support for your employees. Here's how it works. Ginger brings immediate, high-quality mental health support right from a smartphone. With Ginger, members can connect with behavioral health coaches via text 24-7. Your employees having on-demand access to mental health support via an app is absolutely revolutionary, and the Ginger app makes that possible. Employees can get help with setting and working towards goals around anxiety, sleep, relationships, stress, and more. For more in-depth care, Ginger offers video therapy and psychiatry. Coaches, therapists, and psychiatrists work together to ensure each Ginger member gets seamless care tailored to their lives. Nearly 25 million people around the world have access to the Ginger on-demand mental health system. Sign up your team today. To learn more about how Ginger can support your employees' mental health, visit ginger.com slash smart. That's ginger.com slash smart. And now back to the episode. You know, on this podcast, I get a chance to interview just some of the most successful, accomplished, intelligent people such as yourself. And I, one of the things I continually see is discipline and ability to seemingly work sometimes tirelessly towards their goal. Is it possible to optimize the mind for personal quote unquote success? Do you think there's an ability there to like build discipline or a willingness to push through discomfort uh, that I've seen is a prerequisite for success? 
you know, I'm just moving my camera because look at the title of my book. Yeah, that's why I'm asking. Yes, Don't get me wrong. <laughs> absolutely. It is possible to do that. Absolutely. That's the beauty of the human brain. It's trainable. The mind is trainable. Our attention is trainable. And what I've been doing over the last, gosh, 15 years, kind of in a dedicated manner, is trying to figure out the best solutions to train the mind for people like soldiers, first responders, healthcare professionals, students, athletes. Attention is consequential for all of us, but for some professions, it's actually can become a matter of life and death. And, you know, for all of us, it can feel like life and death. It's like, if I don't get this done, it really matters, right? How do I get my mind to be where it needs to be? And, you know, you said something very interesting. It's like, I see in people that are successful, this ability to sort of dedicate themselves. Essentially, you know, I would, I would kind of re rephrase that as they can keep paying attention. They can just put that flashlight where they want it to be and just, it stays there. And then they just keep going on and on and on. And it might be related to things like grit, et cetera. But here's the kind of secret. <laughs> it's not about having the flashlight being able to stay. It's about being able to cultivate the capacity to know where it is. And once you have that, that becomes a very important superpower of your attention. It's like, if I can know exactly where my mind is, I can make the decision of whether I want to bring it back to the task or my goal, or I'm going to let myself watch this video because actually I'm really enjoying it and it's spurring some creativity. So that's a thing we don't typically pay attention to very often is our attention itself. And that's the aspect of training the attention that I've been focusing on in my own work. I think the kind of social media aspects that we touched on, that gets covered often. Yeah. Uh, many people listening probably are like, I've heard these things. But yeah, yeah. the biggest place I think I misplace attention is internally. Is that a good thing? For example, I'll come up with an idea. I just want to build businesses. I want to build stuff. And I'm amazed at those who are able to just run out and execute on that, where I spend probably too much of my time internally on the fear-based thinking, the negatives, trying to avoid negative outcomes. But in today's world, I don't think that's a benefit. So I'm curious about your opinion on when we change that attention and focus it inward and its value. Yeah. Well, the first thing to say, it's, it's the same brain system. It's the capacity to focus. It's the capacity to have goals. It's the capacity to get back on track. And remember what I was saying a while ago, what yanks the flashlight of attention away? It's fearful, alarming, threatening, novel, um, sex, drugs, rock and roll, whatever you want to call it. That content is not just for the external world. We are fantastic at simulating that content in our own mind. And so let's say you're sitting here and you're actually like, I want to spend my time making a plan. So that's going to be an internal task. You don't even have to interface, just a notepad maybe in your own mind. And at the same time, you know, so that's the flashlight going to where you want it to be. Plan, you know, plan X. That's what you're going to put your attention on. Now, all of a sudden the thought, oh, I wonder if I packed that thing I wanted to for the trip I'm taking this weekend. What just happened? Or, oh, did I give my daughter her you know, the, the things she needed for her lunch, you know, today that I give her the lunch money. So these are all the other ways in which the mind is almost competing with itself in terms of content. So while we want to direct it here, we're getting pulled in these other directions. Oftentimes when we get pulled, it's another, another powerful capacity of the mind that actually can become quite problematic, something called mental time travel. 
So oftentimes that flashlight of attention gets yanked by events that have happened in the past, ruminating, reliving, sort of obsessively going back to them, you know, even if you don't want to, something that happened in the past that was problematic, that may have been like a, a thing that, you, you know, kind of doesn't sit well, or you're fast forwarding to the future, catastrophizing, worrying, coming up with all the different scenarios in your beautiful mind that can generate all these different realities, but none of them are, have happened yet. And frankly, they may never happen. So it's the same problem space as social media and our notifications on our phone. There's this thing we want to do and things are pulling us away. And when that happens, when our mind gets pulled away, uh, we call that broad category of mental content mind wandering. So having off task thoughts during an ongoing task or activity. That's where it is problematic. It causes errors in our, in our ability to perform. Um, we mood gets worse. Um, we are slower and more variable. Our decision-making is faulty. We, we miss information in our perceptual environment when our mind is wandering away from the task at hand. All of that's bad stuff. It's not good for our ability to function in the world. So, you know, you asked me the question, is it good for my mind to do this? Well, so that's the not so good side, right? right? So let's talk about what might be good for your mind to be able to just generate all this content, the internal capacity to do that, which is also of the same category, still something we call spontaneous thought, the mind's ability to generate and proliferate information. But when we have that kind of spontaneous thought without the constraints of having something we're supposed to do, think of going for a walk and just letting your mind wander or an easy car drive without a lot of traffic and not a lot of you know, problematic things. You let your mind go all over the place. In fact, you may get to your destination without any memory of traveling there, right? That type of, let's call it daydreaming or internal reflection is very, very beneficial. Creative thinking, um, very productive, positive problem solving, mood gets lifted, visioning is, is positive. So in some sense, it's still, both things are the things the mind does. It's just the context in, when, in which it occurs. Do you think that the goal is different as well? Because when I think of those, when I go internal in that negative mind wandering space, it's typically preventative. Like you said, ruminating on something in the past in order to potentially uh, find a flaw and change it in the future. It's focusing on something that hasn't happened yet for fear of what might happen and fixing it. There's not a gain necessarily. There's a prevention of loss. Whereas the other way seems more simply beneficial. So same system, but different outcomes and seems like a positive and a negative. Yeah. I mean, in some sense, you can't do two things at once. There aren't multiple flashlights. Right. Right. So if there is a task at hand, that's where the energy needs to be. The goal, you've, your goal is to accomplish that task. So anytime you're pulling yourself away from that, it can potentially be problematic. But let me just, let me just say there is absolutely nothing wrong with reflecting on the past, you know, rewinding the mind or fast forwarding it. It is so important that we do that. The problem because, becomes when we are doing that incessantly, constantly, unknowingly, and now we're going from a productive reflection to rumination. And often we're not watching our minds in that way to know, oh, you know what? It went from thinking about the last four times I encountered this problem to just every bad thing that's ever happened to me in my life, right? Where did, where did you, what, what happened in that space between productive reflection of the past and then full on rumination? Like you got lost in that. 
And so this is what I meant by paying attention to our attention. If we watch the content, if we allow the flashlight to return to the past, but then we got to still keep watch of it. Where is it? Is this still a good space to be into? Is this productive for me? And if not, get back to the task at hand. So, you know, that's one thing that, that I would say. It's not so much about, um, about, that's what I was saying to you before, that the secret is not the secret in some sense. The special benefit is not to prevent the mind from moving around. It's watching what the mind is doing. And when you put your mind in this competitive space, if there's something I want to do and I'm going to move my attention around, essentially you're setting yourself up for multitasking, which is very bad for your mind. It exhausts attentional resources and it's not real. You aren't doing two things at once. You're actually switching back and forth. And that is going to exhaust this very limited resource and precious brain resource of attention. I am so excited to get into the solution orientation here. Before we get there, there's a couple of things. One is, is your primary goal or thesis here just awareness first of where the flashlight is pointed? It's an important step. It may not be the first step. And okay. the, the technical term for what I'm talking about is something called meta-awareness. So it's awareness of the thoughts, content, processes that are at play in our own mind. So we are paying attention to our minds. So that's the meta piece. We're kind of yeah. turning the mind in on itself, which we, which means we have to have some distance from it. You can't be in the middle of uh, some full-blown um, uh, emotionally charged event and be watching yourself and saying, oh, look at that. I'm really having a, a hard time with this. I'm very angry right now. You're usually angry or you're watching something from the outside. And so there is this very important function of cultivating the ability to watch, which actually brings up the third system of attention. Um, you know, we talked about the flashlight, we talked about the juggler, and the third system of attention is something I call the floodlight or the alerting system of the mind. And the floodlight really is like a floodlight you might have on top of your garage. I do on top of my garage, right? So like it's just set to detect anything that happens. Broad, receptive, it's, doesn't, it's not pointing toward anything. It has no goals. It's just there watching in some sense available. Another kind of metaphor to think about this particular system of attention is it's like when you're driving a car and you might see a flashing yellow traffic light, not a yellow, you know, not a yellow um, uh, light, like, you know, red, yellow, green, but just flashing yellow light. You might see this at a construction site. What does that usually mean to you? It means pay attention, right? And, and that's not telling you what to pay attention to. It could be children nearby. It could be a school's going to let out. It could be animals uh, in a or a weird traffic pattern. You don't know what, but you're supposed to bring online this sort of watchful quality uh, to be able to then deploy attention as soon as it's needed. And that's the system that needs to probably be paid attention to more than, than we are right now. And all of these three systems are working together constantly, right? We're focusing, we have got goals that allow us to focus, but then if we watch where our, where our attention is at any moment, we can ensure that we align our focus with the goals. Hey everyone, Chris here. And I want to take a minute for our sponsor this week, Organifi. Now, the one thing you might be asking is why is Chris doing the read? Because honestly, John almost always does these. When Organifi decided to sponsor the show and I got their product, I tried it and I was genuinely shocked. I actually called John and said, hey, let me do the ad read for this one because it's incredible. And here's why. 
Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition with high-quality ingredients and less than three grams of sugar. So my two favorites are their green juice blend and their gold blend. The green juice blend is best with cold, you know, just mix it with cold water. It has all types of good stuff. It has ashwagandha, which if you're not familiar, it's a adaptogen that can help with stress, weight management, etc. It has moringa, matcha, chlorella, spirulina. It has all this good stuff, but what's even crazier is it's delicious. Like my biggest problem with a lot of these products is they taste like they're healthy. This stuff is awesome. And the gold, oh man, you put it in hot water like a tea. It has turmeric, ginger, lemon balm, reishi mushroom, turkey tail mushroom. Again, made of health, but like better than all the teas I have on a nightly basis. So treat yourself to amazing health and try it today for 20% off your entire purchase. Go to www.organifi.com slash smart. Again, organifi.com slash smart. Get 20% off. And when you love it, shoot me an email and tell me I was right. Let's get back to the show. All right. So let's sit here for a minute because I'm struggling on this one. I, I love the analogies like flashlight. Got it. Juggler. Got it. Floodlight. Understand what it stands for. But if we're trying to be aware of our attention, doesn't that then make us focus internally again? That like, doesn't that turn it back in? Think about how if you're if you do happen to have children. I do. Yeah. Two little ones, six and three. Right. So I'm sure you've, you've been able to be in situations with them and, you know, from having kids myself, I know this where they're freaked out about something. Right. Hmm. And, and you as the parent are saying to them something to try to stabilize them. I know you're feeling this right now, but actually there isn't a monster under your bed or whatever the heck mm -hmm. it is. Sure. You're trying to provide a distanced perspective. That was just, you know, the dog came into the room. That isn't a monster that you were trying to provide a distanced perspective on their experience to pull them out of Im being immersed in it, to be able to watch it and see it in a different way. And what I'm talking about here is doing that for our own minds, being what we call psychologically distanced or, you know, the term that again, the technical term would be decentered. So you're watching your mind. And the thing about it is you can't, your mind, your attention cannot be in two places at once. If you are in a fit of rage, it's very hard to do this. But if you notice, ah, maybe if I step outside and watch, oh my gosh, I'm having such a strong reaction right now. All of a sudden you've shifted the energy away from the full on immersion in that. Same thing goes by the way with very sad or depressogenic thoughts. If we're in the midst of that sadness, but we pull ourselves away to say, oh, look at that. Just like if your child wasn't feeling well, you know, it's almost like giving yourself a little befriending hug of support. Like, yeah, this is, this is tough. You're feeling sad right now. Just saying that distances you and pulls you away. So when you say going internal, both are ways of going internal, but quite different. One is an immersive or fused with experience. The other one is diffused and decentered. It's amazing how much chatter is going on up there. One of the things this reminds me of is a previous guest we had on who he was saying the brain, we train it by what we do constantly. And it is malleable. It can be trained otherwise, but it becomes, we feel like our habits are who we are. 
when you learn to talk, it's hard. But when you do it for 30, 40, 50 years, it would be hard to stop. It'd be hard to say things differently because you've been doing it so long. And it, and the same is true of thinking where the way we do these things becomes so habitual, we feel like we can't change it because it is us. How do you think about that? We feel that way, but that's not the case. I mean, that's why we have research studies that we do to test that idea out. Right. And by the way, this is not, nothing I've said has to do anything with thinking or even the, any kind of specific mental content. This is sort of the framework. The, uh, the attention provides, it's like a, it's the conduit. It's the fuel by which thinking can happen. It's the, it's, it's the space that allows you to actually have thoughts, feelings, and connection. So, but going back to what you said a moment ago regarding the term mindfulness, yes, that is what we're going to come to. And actually, that is what I came to kind of, I would say, even skeptically and maybe even grudgingly. When I started this work, I was just on a hunt to find how do, how do we help high-demand, high-stress individuals where the professional aspects of their life are going to be things like threat, stress, and poor mood. That's what they go into. Those are the circumstances that they're invited in, you know, first responders, medical professionals, um, soldiers. And what we know, what I knew at that time was that, well, attention is going to degrade. They are going to have less capacity for all three of these systems. So now if you know that, if you know that you're setting people up to actually kind of degrade and deplete their resources, then they got to go perform at their best. Lives depend on it. What are you going to do? So we looked at lots of different solutions. And the one that we found that works the best and most consistently and that they could train themselves to do, even if they were in a war zone, even if they were in medical school, even if they were dealing with hurricane season in Miami, was mindfulness training. Hmm. And what a lot of my work has been doing is not just that mindfulness training is a solution, but how do we make it so it's the most time efficient, minimum effective dose? Because these are busy people, like all of us. Right. right. They don't have time just to go on a one-month retreat or practice meditation 45 minutes a day. So, you know, I would love to talk a little bit about those solutions, too, because they're not what you'd think you'd offer to big, burly Marines. I mean, right. definitely not. No, that is exactly what I want to talk about. I mean, I really want to settle into the issues that we were talking about earlier. But again, selfishly, like I need to know, I mean, how do we do this? How do we get back into this peak mind, as you refer to in your book? Yeah. And just to say at the outset, you know, I mean, an Indian woman. So a lot of times people are like, oh, well, this is just, you know, you're just advancing some kind of cultural, um, some cultural understanding that you have. And I would say it was actually the exact opposite. I was like, I mean, I grew up with seeing my parents meditate. And I was like, yeah, not for me. I'm a Western trained scientist. That's great for you, you know, mom and dad, but like, it has to be hard nosed. And the first time I actually ever heard anybody talk about uh, mindfulness meditation, I really was like aghast. I was like, um, this is the equivalent of saying to a, a astrophysicist, you know, let me tell you about astrology. It's like, right. don't, don't waste my time. But it really ended up being quite um, valuable because at, at the time, this is back in the early 2000s, mindfulness was not a thing. I would not have expected, I mean, I'm surprised that you said it, but most people don't even know what it is. They don't talk about it. There was no real research literature on it. So in some sense, my colleagues, and that, that time I was at the University of Pennsylvania, were like, yeah, you're nuts. Why are you doing this? Nobody's going to care about this topic. And I was like, I really think we're onto something here because what we want, you know, let's just figure out what the stakes are here. 
we've got a mind that is very prone to distractibility. It's got the external forces that distract it, and it's got the internal for, for, uh, sources of distractibility. And what's the what's the percentage of time our minds are distracted internally? Fifty percent of the time, you know, fifty percent of our waking moments, and this is study after study, our attention is not in the task at hand. Meaning that the, you want it to be in the task at hand, but it's not. You said something there that is interesting. I haven't thought about this. If it's not at the task at hand, it must be internally focused. Not necessarily, but most no. of the time it is. Right? If it's not at the task at hand, probably uh, going on Twitter and figuring out what oh, happens to Emmys oh, okay. is not tied to the task at hand. So gotcha. it's just that it's not where you want it to be. And by the way, okay. it, when you look at study after study on this, it doesn't matter how enticing or important the task is. It could be brain surgery. It could be reading a book to your kids. There is a task at hand and you are getting pulled away. So it's not even about the interesting aspects of what the task is. And it's not about the interesting aspect of what pulls you away. You know, it's not always that there's some threatening emergency that pulls you away. This is the nature of the mind. It is built for distractibility, which, you know, just if you think about it from our evolutionary history, that makes sense. You'd want a mind that sort of cycles in terms of its attention. The problem is under high stress circumstances, the cycling ends up becoming more in favor of away from the task at hand. And now you're rewinding and fast forwarding, not in these productive ways, but you're ruminating or you're catastrophizing. And now you're stuck because you have to do things that are consequential, you know, for these populations that we were studying. And your mind is not geared in the direction that's going to promote success for you to do that. It's yes. more likely to be away. Hey, everyone, Chris here for a message from our sponsor. And look, don't get used to me coming on here being the one talking about these. But again, I'm loving the sponsors we are getting. Did you know that stress makes you stupid? Our body's stress response seriously impacts the way our brain works. So in this episode, as we're talking about peak mind, are you even able to get there? Our sponsor this week is Tonic. And Tonic is, in my opinion, the best CBD product on the market. Now, look, I know you've all heard about CBD, and many of you are probably considering trying it out. But do you trust it? Do you know what's in it? Etc. What sets Tonic apart is the quality of their formulas and the transparency they offer. The whole product starts with their certified, organic, family-owned craft hemp farm. Tonic then turns that hemp flower into CBD oil, creates their own blends, and ships them out to you all under the same roof. The product literally never leaves their site. I've been using it for months now. My favorite is called the OG, and it's not just CBD. It is a blend of CBD, ashwagandha, and black seed oil. And because of that, it helps me break through fog, brush off stress, especially in the craziest time of the year, which is this fourth quarter. If you've been considering CBD, if you've heard about all the benefits for your brain and your body, give Tonic a try. And guess what? We're hooking you up with an offer you can't find elsewhere. It's 20% off your order. Head to tonicvibes.com slash smart people and get 20% off. Again, that's tonicvibes.com slash smart people. Get 20% off and finally feel the benefits of what everyone's talking about. All right, let's get back to it. Yes. Okay, exactly. That, that, that makes so much sense. All right, let's keep going then. I don't want to stop because I need to know the solution now. You have like defined my problem. Please fix me. <laughs> and I just want to say one other quick thing is that, you know, we started out talking about the modern 
aspects of this and the attention economy and attention marketplaces, but the problems and struggles of mind wandering have been around and documented for hundreds of years. I mean, there's some, um, you know, monks, the uh, monks back in parts of Europe that complained about their minds were wandering so much. They, they thought that if they abandoned all their worldly possessions, if they stopped talking to their families, they could just focus on God because their mind kept getting in the way. You know, they'd be praying and then all of a sudden they're thinking about lunch or the beer they're going to try to taste later. So we might feel like this is brand new, but this is part of the nature of our mind. Okay. Okay. So just to say that, that's what, that's what we're up against. And under stress, all of this is going to get more problematic. So let's talk about mindfulness now as, as a solution to all of this. And maybe just start by defining what the heck this term is, because it's gotten this sort of buzz term notion, but I mean something very specific with, with mindfulness. I describe it as, as paying attention to our present moment experience without emotional reactivity or conceptual elaboration. And that's sort of a mouthful. Let me break it down. So let's start with the first part. It's paying attention to our present moment experience. That flashlight is in what matters now, the task at hand, right? That's what we'd say is what's happening right now. The without emotional reactivity is just the nature of how we're paying attention. We're not having a response to it. We're getting the pure data of what is occurring right now. And without conceptual elaboration, AKA thinking or kind of building on the stories of what's happening right now, we're not editorializing about it. You know, I always think of like those back in the days when we had DVDs, there'd be like a director's cut that you could listen to. So you got the video and then there's the director saying, in this scene, what I wanted to do was actually blah, blah, blah. We're doing that with our lives. We're not just experiencing events, but we are editorializing and reacting to every event that occurs. So mindfulness is the opposite of a wandering and distracted mind that makes a lot of stories and proliferates this. It's about getting the raw data of the experience. And after understanding that, I'm like, okay, that seems like that could be very beneficial. So how do I get that? You know, first you understand it's a concept. Okay. There is a thing about, there is a way you can make your mind so that you're actually in the moment and not in the past or future being yanked around by your own distractibility. Oh, okay. That's great. I'll just do that. Pretty soon we back default back to that 50% where we're going back and forth and we're somewhere else and we're not here right now. That's why it requires training is because it's in some sense, we have to train against these propensities of our own mind. We're training to combat the default tendencies of our mind. Mm. And so when I started looking at to this, into this suite of practices, because mindfulness has been around for thousands of years, it's, it comes from the world's wisdom traditions. And these are you know, meditation practices. And again, from a, from a neuroscience point of view, when I learned about meditation, not from my family, but from what I'm seeing in the kind of scientific literature, it's mental training. It's engaging in specific mental exercises to cultivate specific qualities of mind. Oh, that's cognitive training. I know that, you know, all of a sudden it, made, it was a, a terrain that I could actually understand. And then when I looked at the suite of mindfulness practices, I'm like, oh my gosh, every one of these kind of practices is really helping people get better at keeping that flashlight right here, right now, keeping that floodlight broad and receptive and getting that juggler to make sure that the goals are in mind so that you can get, get everything to align, your goals to align with your behavior. So all three of those systems of attention that I've been studying for my career all of a sudden were at play and could be trained to function better together and individually. Every time I've tried it, it feels hard. And I wanted to ask you, is that on purpose and et cetera? But 
it seems like the logical answer here is like any training, if you are doing something different from what you do habitually, it's going to be hard. Therefore, if it's hard, it's probably at least showing you you're trying something new. Is that fair? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fair. You'd okay. never say, you know, I went to the gym today and I, and I was bench pressing some weight and like it hurt my muscles. I think I'm not good at this. I think my body <laughs> is not designed to bench press any kind of weight. You would never say that. You'd say, I got to work up to it. Maybe right. I need to lower the weight to build up so I'm not going to injure myself. But people do this all the time with, with meditation. They'd say, my mind is too busy. I just can't do it. Um, or I keep wandering away. I can't stay on the focus of the, of the task. I can't clear my mind is another myth I, I hear. You can never clear your mind. If you are alive and conscious, don't even have that as on the table of something you can do. You cannot. Um, so I think part of it is just understanding the nature of what you're, what you're doing and what the intention is behind it. It's not to clear the mind. It's to have present-centered attention where you orient that attention in a particular non-elaborative way. So how do we do it? So yeah, let's do, let's do like just a quick one. And it's super simple, but not easy. I would say, just like you said, it almost feels like, wow, this is a really heavy weight. And the first time I ever offered this to a group of, of Marines, I was sort of shocked. You know, these are guys that get like dropped in the middle of nowhere and have to make their way home. They do hard stuff. Same thing with all the special forces people that we've worked with. These are tough people that have done tough things. And it was shocking to me because they're like, ma'am, this is impossible. You know, this is not possible. I cannot do this. You're giving me an impossible task. And, you know, I think that gives you a sense of, yes, you're up against a lot here. So let's just think of a very simple thing you could do. You know, in, in my uh, book, what I talk about is sort of a suite of practices. So, you know, I want people to kind of get through and get familiar with all of them. And then you can kind of pick what you like. And what we've done through our research is try to figure out how much should people do every day to get a benefit? And the, the broadest answer is the more you do, the more you benefit. But that's not really a satisfying answer. So I wanted to figure out what's the minimum amount of time daily. And the number that our, our research currently suggests is 12 minutes a day. So if you do a practice. Yes, I like it. Thank you. Let's <laughs> if go. You, if you do a practice, like the one we'll talk through, 12 minutes a day, you know, try to shoot for five days a week. You're going to be helping your mind pay attention better. So what is it that you do? Like, let's And remember all these different kind of metaphors we've been talking through all along because I think it helps make the practice now a lot more understandable. Um, remember the flashlight, the floodlight, the juggler, you know, these are these three main systems. So so a very straightforward and, and sort of a foundational mindfulness practice is something called mindfulness of breathing. I call it the find your flashlight practice because this is really the first step that we were talking about of being able to, to get some sense of ownership over our own mind. So what you do is you just find a you know, quiet place if you can for some dedicated period of time. Don't start with 12 minutes if you've never done this before. Start with maybe a minute <laughs> and then work yourself up, work your way up. So the intention, and if anybody is familiar, you know, any of your listeners are familiar with mindfulness, they'll, they'll get this. But now I want them to kind of think about it from the perspective of training attention. So we just sort of anchor ourselves, sit in a comfortable, upright, alert posture. And for some dedicated period of time, whether it's a minute or 12 minutes, focus on the sensations of breathing and then really focus on prominent sensations. So now it's like you're taking that flashlight and you're going to point it to very specific breath related sensations. For some people, it could be like the coolness of air moving in and out of their nostrils, maybe their abdomen or rib cage moving up and down. Whatever it is for you, 
You're going to kind of identify that when you're first sitting for a couple, maybe three, four breaths, and then take that flashlight and intend, have the goal of keeping it focused on that particular breath-related sensation. So you're doing that, you know, hopefully a few breaths in, you will probably notice that your mind has wandered away. Mm-hmm. Maybe a thought like, God, this is boring, or I don't ever want to do that, or this is doing nothing, you know, whatever it is, or you have an itch on your face, or the phone rings, or something's going to take that flashlight and move it away. So the second part of the instruction, the first part of the instruction is point the flashlight toward breath-related sensation. The second part of the instruction is notice when your mind wanders away from breath-related sensations. Floodlights open. It's always on the watch. Where's my flashlight right now? Up, oh, got yanked away. And that brings us to the third part of the instruction is, and when it wanders away, simply return it back. So redirect it back. And with that simple practice, which I really, a lot of my military colleagues playfully call it the push-up for the mind. Yeah, we've exercised all three systems. The flashlight gets directed, the floodlight is watching, and that executive control system, the juggler is saying, get back on track. This is not your goal, get back on track. And we repeat over and over again. This will happen thousands of times. And just remember when you're doing this and you notice like, God, the mind is all over the place. I just am not even here. Reframe that. It's a win when you notice. Then if you hadn't noticed, you'd be off, off the breath, off the task at hand for way too long. When you notice it, it's an opportunity to make a decision. Ah, should I stay thinking about this thought or scratching that itch? Or can I bring it back right now and get back to the task at hand? You just have a way of making it seem so doable and then also translating it into, I see exactly how this aligns with some physical activity. Like, I love the three analogies, the different, the lights and the jugglers, like thinking of the whole goal is to build those up. And the point then is to build that muscle first and foremost, so that when your flashlight redirects outside of meditation, you have the ability to put it back on task. hundred percent. We're not doing this okay. to become Olympian level breath followers. Nobody cares right. about breath. Right. And by the way, if you don't like the breath, you could choose walking or drinking your coffee. You can choose whatever target you want for your attention. The breath one is pretty straightforward because it's a subtle thing that's always with you. Right. But no, it's not about just being able to do this while you're doing the formal practice. It's every other moment of your life. That's the muscle we want to build. Do you ever get to the point where the mind just doesn't wander as often? Or is your primary goal to just be able to bring it back on track when it does? It kind of depends day by day. You know, the thing that's very interesting that I've noticed in my own in my own practice is that I'm getting more attuned to when it's going to wander. Like I don't have to be full on planning my next vacation. Uh, It's like, ah, I feel the tug of like, I want to think about something else. And then I really am noticing that tug or my mind keeps going to certain thoughts and I'm kind of noticing, Oh, look at that. Whenever I wander, it's going to this thing. So it promotes a lot of different insight. And I think that's the other thing. You might have days when it feels like, look at that. My, my mind is a serene, peaceful lake. Then you got to be humble and think, oh, that was, a, that was a thought that moved me away from the, from the breath. Yes. Right? So like you got to get more subtle with noticing what the, what the excursions of the mind are. Yeah. And that just gives you more data and more power to get it back on track. I love it. Well, you know, if I was the listener as opposed to the host right now, I'd be like, wait, don't stop. What, what else? You know, I need more because I personally want that. And luckily I have a copy of your book, so I'm going to make sure I have all those. But for those listening, 
the book offers much more of these types of trainings and practices. And it's called Peak Mind, Find Your Focus, Own Your Attention, Invest 12 Minutes a Day. So first, um, Dr. Amishi Jha, I just wanted to say thank you so much. Second, aside from the book, which dives into more, is there anywhere else people interested you would like to guide them? Do you have a website that you talk about these things? Are you on social, any of that? I am on social and I'm easy to find. If you remember my first name, A-M-I-S-H-I, they can go to my website, which is just amishi.com to get all my socials and, and get kind of the latest findings that we have from our, from our research. That's fantastic. Again, the book is Peak Mind. If you've enjoyed this, if you want to begin this journey, definitely check it out. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. It's been a lot of fun. All right. Hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Amishi Ja. Her book, Peak Mind, Find Your Focus, Own Your Attention, Invest 12 Minutes a Day, can be found wherever books are sold. All right, let's jump into the quick housekeeping items. Think you know the drill by now, but if you'd ever like to reach out to the show, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you'd like to support Smart People Podcast, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast to support us monetarily. Or if you want to support us for free, just tell a friend or family member about the show and send them a couple episodes their way. And if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, make sure you head over to the website smartpeoplepodcast.com and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of fantastic episodes coming up and we'll see you all next episode.